Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Hopefully we're eight, day, what, eight days into the new year. Hopefully nobody's hit the panic button quite yet. Hopefully it's going a little bit better maybe than last year for some of you. Uh, this year we thought it would be wise to start off the year um, doing a sermon series based upon the book of Proverbs. Um, and so last week Craig kind of kicked that series off. Uh, he talked to us about many things. Uh, about that. We just feel like this is good for us to start in the book of Proverbs. There's so much wisdom here. Craig also laid out a challenge last week for us to read Proverbs in the month of January. There are 31 Proverbs, and coincidentally, there are 31 days in January. So if you read a chapter of Proverbs a day, you would read through the whole entirety of the book of Proverbs in a month. Proverbs is a great book to start. If you're, if you're in here and you're a new Christian or a Christian that wants to jump into the word, Proverbs is a great place for you to start. It has profound wisdom. It would be a great way for you to start off your year. Craig broke down what a proverb was, the author of Proverbs, and then the purpose of Proverbs. And then he highlighted Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and concluded that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So our belief is that the fear of the Lord is the baseline to all wisdom. The baseline. None of the wisdom that I may give to you over the next couple weeks in the areas that we're going to talk about will mean zilch to you if you don't have the viewpoint that we are created beings from a good and infinite God who upholds the vastness of the universe himself, that he can speak whatever he wants into existence, and he is alive and active around us today, moving us and molding us into the people that we are today. And he is to be feared of a God, as a God of justice, but he is also to be loved as a God of grace and mercy. We have said this before and we'll say it again. He is a good God, but he is not safe. He is a God to be revered, but he is not one to be mocked. And so we hold this to be a core belief at this church, mostly because the Bible lends itself to be understood in that manner. And so let's remember that as we get into our topic today. Today we're going to focus on developing some good thoughts, some good habits, and our attitudes and our actions and our words, a little dose of perspective for righteous and godly living in the year 2017. I've entitled this sermon for today, uh, 2017, the year of the non-fu. It's okay to put a little Mr. T twang to the end of that, like 2017, non-fu. Okay, that didn't work for a service either. I was hoping... <laughs> I was hoping it was better, this one. Proverbs does a lot of contrasting between foolish living and wise living. So today we're going to highlight a few of these contrasts that will hopefully benefit us towards living a life that is flourishing and not just surviving. Because look, if we place our under, ourselves under God's good and right design and submit to his word, things tend to go well for us in the areas that we don't submit and surrender in tend not to go as well. So before we jump into Proverbs that I have been prayer for over this week that might bring some change to our lives, I want to speak briefly on the perils of behavioral modification. This year, kind of the beginning of it, lends itself to some new ideas of self, some new habits for self. We build resolutions and those things aren't inherently wrong. 
What can happen when we teach things like Proverbs that are insightful and practical? What our natural tendency to do is to take the things that we hear and implement them into our life to improve ourselves. And there is nothing wrong with a little self-improvement. There are things that we should do and there are things that we shouldn't do. We believe that there is an obedience that is required to this Christianity thing. The pitfall, however, comes with believing that the next better habit or routine will be what fixes your life. Let's just remind ourselves today that it won't. It will not bring the kind of depth to your life that you hoped it would. It will not do for you what your mind may believe it will do for you. A theological position that we hold to be true in a closed-handed manner here at this church amongst our leadership is, is that we are all broken. We will not compromise on that. We believe that we are broken and that this world around us is too. It's from the fall. In Genesis 3, the fall caused a broken world and a broken self, and that brokenness comes from a fractured relationship with the Father. We were designed to live with God on this earth, a place where sin and death did not exist, but through our disobedience, our right and intimate relationship with God was fractured, and so a better version of ourselves is not going to make that whole because you are locking in what you were created to be, a people who had a close and intimate relationship with the Father who walked with us openly and sustained us. And so our wholeness in life does not come from a better version of ourselves or being a better person, but being known and cared for personally by the creator of us all. And Jesus Christ is what provides for us a way into a whole relationship with the Father. That's why we celebrate Him. So our first and most important understanding as we travel through these practical and really good and insightful ideas in Proverbs is that a better version of yourself is not what is going to make you whole. It will do nothing for you in that regard. Your consistent manipulation of your life proves to yourself that you are not the answer to your problems. Jesus is the only resolution in our life that matters. And so all of our resolutions, all of our thoughts begin and end with the knowledge that the fullness of life comes with Christ and what he has offered us. Christ says in John 10:10 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Don't let the schemes of the devil make you believe that you are the answer. Jesus is the answer. When we taste of his goodness, experience his grace that says, I love you despite your flaws, his spirit moves in our lives and convicts us of our shortcomings, and his spirit produces within us a desire to be more and more like him, that process that we call sanctification. And so it's important as we talk about Proverbs today, that a series that I have been praying that would hope change some of the things that we do, that we understand it's him that changes us. It's out of our love for him, out of our obedience to him, and his spirit guiding us. So let his grace be there to pick us up as we move in this new year, as we fall and we get up. It is there to pick us up and move us forward into becoming more like him. So today I want to highlight just five Proverbs. We could be here for days. There are so many rich Proverbs but we're just going to highlight five that help us live like non-fools this year as we are obedient to God's spirit and move towards the things that he wants us to by his love and his grace. And so our first proverb comes from Proverbs 
10.9, this is what it says. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. What we are talking about is this personal type of integrity. And I like to define integrity as, as what you do when nobody is looking. What do you do when nobody is around? Because the right thing to do is the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do. And I, I think it's clear to us in this room that we don't want to be the type of people that are liars or cheaters. We don't want to deceive people into getting our own way. But I think integrity starts with a very small steps, like very small unseen things. That's where they start. Jesus has, says this, one who is faithful in a little is faithful in what? Much. But he also says that one who is dishonest in very little will be dishonest in very, mu very much. Several months ago, I was reading a story about a high school girls volleyball team. I why I was reading it, I don't know. It was on the sports page, okay? Thanks, Ross. I appreciate that. <laughs> I got something. Uh, I don't know why I was reading it, but it, it, it intrigued me. And I'm reading it, and this, this coach and this team had just committed to not allowing the competition of, of this sport to affect their integrity as people. And so they made a decision that they were going to do something that was kind of unique in this sport. Volleyball is a kind of a difficult game for officials to kind of keep up with sometimes, especially in the area of tipped balls, okay? And so if a, a team hits a ball over the net and it goes out of bounds, the team that hit it loses the point, it goes to the team, the opposite team. If a team, the, the team hits it and somebody from the opposite team deflects, it or brushes it slightly and it goes out of bounds, the point would remain with the team that first hit it. And this can be very difficult to see when you've got people spiking the balls at 90 miles an hour and you have people trying to block it. So that's difficult to see. What this team does is they self-report. If they go to block a spike and they barely nick the ball and it goes out of bounds and they give the point to their team, they walk up to the official and they say, sir, I touched that. It's, it's not our point. And the referee gives them the point. Maybe you think that's crazy. If they can't call it and they can't see it and they get the point, what's it matter? It's competition for goodness sake. But maybe you were like me when you heard that or read that and you were just filled with gratitude for this volleyball coach and this team. A successful program, might I add, who are leaving a legacy that says my wins and losses don't determine my life. If you're a high school girl, wins and losses don't even determine your day but my integrity will last me a lifetime. Just a, an incredible legacy that this coach is leaving amongst his team. One who is dishonest in very little will be dishonest in much. The foolish person is the one that says, well, they'll never know about it. Or they have so much, they'll never know, just a little bit of it gone. Your faulty assertion is based upon the belief that your integrity is tied into what other people know about you. But it's not. Your integrity is defined by your set of actions and your decisions alone. What type of person am I? Am I willing to be dishonest in a little? Here's what scripture promises us that act that way. You will be found out. You will be made known. And it may not come in that moment that you get away with getting something small that nobody else noticed, but it will come in a larger moment that was planted because the seed of being dishonest in a little. We are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the call of 
Christ in our life. Not on some objective standard of somebody who's sitting to your left and right that you're trying to be better than. If you are a believer, a follower, a truster of Christ, God has called you towards himself. We are to live worthy of that call and that standard. And so integrity matters. And it matters today, maybe more than it's ever mattered when it comes to being a follower of Christ. The second proverb that I want to highlight that we're going to talk about today comes from Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. There's a phrase that I hold close to, uh, and the phrase says that self-perception leads to self-deception. Self-perception leads to self-deception. That phrase means this to me. There's a manner in which I believe that people to receive me. There's a manner that I believe that I am a certain kind of person. I believe that I come off in a certain way. I believe that people understand me in a certain manner. And I believe that my motives and my action are mostly just in about every situation. The danger that comes from that is this phrase, I believe. My perception about myself is pretty biased. I tend to like myself a lot. I do. And I don't think it's just natural for me. I think every one of us in this room like ourselves probably more than anybody else in this room. It's even true for us, this is including me, who have dealt with self-worth issues in your past. You still trust and believe that you are the right answer for most everything. And this is foolishness because no one else in our life has caused us more agony in our life than our own decision-making. We just have a poor track record of making poor choices for ourselves, And so this proverb would tell us to like check yourself. Like check yourself. You are not God's greatest gift to this earth. We need to gain insight and perspective about ourselves from other people. And we should be willing to hear it from them. We all could benefit from somebody sitting down with us and we asking them the question with, with honesty and integrity and asking them to, to give it back. Like, what kind of person do I come across to us? Like, who do I come off to you as? It may be difficult in that moment, but we will surely grow from it. And in the process of life, we are to be a learner. Be somebody that doesn't pretend to have it all together. Be a listener of people, even if you already know what they're going to say. Even if you don't fully respect them, there is always nuggets of information to be learned anywhere. And be the type of person that actively entertains advice. Grow in your life by seeking men or women who, pro who have profound wisdom in the areas that you want to grow in. Don't try to do this by yourself. And humble yourself in your own eyes. And remember that God humbled himself to make himself in the likeness of men, that through his lonely position, he would raise you higher. We are not God's gift to this world. Jesus already has that prestige. Don't be confused on that. Our third proverb for non-foolish living in 2017 comes from Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, 4 says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. John Gill, who's a brilliant theologian, writes an exposition about the sluggard that's mentioned here in Proverbs 13. This is what Gill writes about the sluggard. 
He says, he desires knowledge, but does not care to be at any pains to get it. And so he has not. He desires riches, but choose not to make us use of the means to be diligent and industrious, so he is without them. He desires to wear good clothes and rich remnant, but is unwilling to labor for them, and therefore is clothed with rags. He desires food and plenty of it, but refuses to work for it. And he that will not work should not eat. And therefore he has it not, but starves in famines. And in spiritual things, the sluggard desires heaven and happiness, but does not care to do the duties of religion. He would die the death of the righteous, but is unwilling to live its life. To abstain from sin and live soberly and righteously is too hard of a service for him. He does not choose to do or suffer anything for the cause of Christ or true religion. And maybe these words strike true of somebody that you know in your life. Maybe these words ring true for you. Regardless, I want us to understand that God did not place us on this earth to eke out an existence. He had a plan in mind when he created you. There is a purpose to your existence. And there's so much to that purpose. But one of the things that is required of us is to be diligent in our endeavors and in our roles. Not to be lazy. And part of that equation for men especially is that we would work. When God created man, he created him to work the land. His design was that we would work this planet. And when things broke like they did in Genesis 3, when sin and death entered the world, that work became difficult. God says this about work after the fall in Genesis 3. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat of its bread. And so we have to understand that work is not the most pleasurable thing that we could do on earth. Probably a lot of amens out there for that one. But it is required of us. It used to be fully sustaining, fully gratifying, but it's just not that way anymore. It's required of us. Listen, there is nothing more dangerous to this earth than a bored man with time on his hands. So let us not be lazy but be diligent in all ways, if at all possible for us. Be great employees, be great bosses, one who reflects the kind of integrity and value that we just talked about. Abraham Lincoln once wrote that if this country is ever demoralized, it will come from living without work. There is no reward for the sluggard, only judgment. Let's lose this thought of trying to make our lives as easy as possible. And just focus ourselves on being diligent in the things that God has given us. Be diligent in the, in the roles that God has given us. And things will work out. Maybe not to the expectations that you hoped they would, but they will. There's a story of a 16-year-old boy who leaves home looking to build his fortune. He gathers all of his stuff up and he binds them together and he carries them in one hand and he travels. Along his travels, he meets an old canal boat captain. And this old canal boat captain listens to his story. And this man tells him, the 16-year-old boy tells him a story of, of, of himself, of a, a family too poor to even keep him around. And so he's out trying to build his fortune. The man listens to it and then kneels down and prays for this young 16-year-old boy. And then he gives him this piece of advice. He says, somebody, oh, I should say this, This young boy only had one set of skills. He could make soap and candles. That's all he could do. This man's advice was said, he said, somebody will be the leading soap maker 
in the city of New York, that person could be you. Be a good man and give your heart to Christ. Pay to him what is owed to him. And be an honest man and make an honest soap. Give them a full pound. And I most assuredly will guarantee to you that you will be rich and successful in life. The 16-year-old man that heard this godly wisdom was a man named William Colgate. And Colgate went on to prosper beyond his wildest imaginations and gave millions upon millions to the Lord's causes. Colgate had nothing but diligence. Our diligence in our roles in life will make us rich people. And I'm not talking about finances, as is in the case with Mr. Colgate, but rich in spirit. Let's be diligent as mom and dads and husbands and wives and friends and followers. Refuse to be sluggards in our lives. Our fourth proverb comes from Proverbs 14 in verse 9. It says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. This is probably one of the more self-explanatory proverbs in this group. Don't be a fool and play with sin lightly. It will destroy you. You cannot tame it. We've said this before and we will say it again. All sin does is kill and destroy. It has no other purpose in our lives but destroy and kill us. We cannot tame it. There was a college football coach. His name is Eric, Eric Russell. And he coached at Georgia Southern College. He was trying to get through to his team about the perils and the gravity of drug use. And so one day, he had a bunch of country boys burst into his meeting and throw on the floor during the team's meeting a six-foot-long hissing rattlesnake. And these football players scattered, as you can imagine, to the extreme ends of the building in fear. And Russell remembers telling his team this. When cocaine walks into the room, you're not as apt to hide from it and move away from it like you are a rattlesnake. But make no mistake, boys, they will both kill you. And so I thought that was true of sin today, so I brought some friends with some snakes. Now I'm just going <laughs> to... not going to do that for you guys. But hear me, it applies to sin. Sin will kill you both physically and spiritually. There is a seriousness that needs to be produced in the hearts of Christians to put that to death, what is sinful in us. And by the grace of God, we move towards him and away from it. Let's not make a light of it. And look, I know this is hard. I know my own battles in this area. But listen, friends, this is not what God would have for you. Your sin is not what God would have for you. He has so much greater for you. Will we ever be perfect? No. But that doesn't mean we don't try. So if you're in here today and sin has still have ownership in your life, I'm not talking about the sin that you stumble into and you realize it and you panicked about it and you turn from it and you confess to it, but I'm talking about sin that you are a slave to. There is no better time to confess to God and others than today. There is no better time. We love to pray for people here. We pray for people during our last song. We pray for people after service. If you need somebody to come alongside you today and pray for you in a sin stronghold, will you make that your mission today? Don't mock sin. Don't give it room. It will destroy us. And our last proverb, 
for non-foolish living in 2017 comes from Proverbs 21, verse 23. This is what it says. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Probably about five years ago, I was sitting in a student section with a bunch of high school kids, and I was watching a high school basketball, and the game was not going well for our team. I remember there being an increasing hostility towards the officials at this point. My student section was just going crazy. In one of the quiet moments, a kid turned with me, turned to me with some curiosity in his face, and he asked, why aren't you yelling at the officials? God gave me a really cool opportunity to talk to this student about why I guard my heart and I guard my words, what I want to use my words for. Now, I don't know if it made much of an impression on the student at the time. He got back into his frustrations pretty quickly. And I'm not telling you that story to tell you that I always get it right. But I'm thankful to God when he allows me to, to get it right. Controlling our tongue, you guys know this, is probably one of the hardest things that we can do on this earth. And it's not just limited to our words that we speak out of our mouth. It's also involving our just communication in general, what we say and what we write. God would want us to keep a hold of those things that we write and that we say. There are two ways that I want to deal with this proverb. One about being how we talk to people and about people, and the other one that deals with gossip. The first one being how we talk to people. Do you know there's a Proverbs in Proverbs, Proverbs 18.21 says that the power of death and life is in the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. The power of life and death is in your mouth. You can lift people up and bring life to the worlds, or you can destroy people by your own words. You choose. And I know there are people that would say, well, I'm only saying those derogatory things because that person was a fool to me or a jerk. And let's just call that what it is. That's just a really lame excuse. It's a really lame excuse. The Bible would tell us and does tell us that we can hold every thought captive. We can arrest every thought. We don't have to let our emotions or our thoughts that are stirred up in us affect us. We don't have to act on them. Nobody can cause you to do what you do or say what you say besides yourself. You get to choose. And look, our culture accepts derogatory speech. It even condones it. But this is not our home. And you are not to hold yourself to that standard. Don't accept that standard. Just because it's acceptable does not make it right. It's not acceptable in the kingdom of God to speak poorly about somebody to their face or behind their back. Look, there are ways that we can be truthful with people in love and respect. We can speak truth in love. We can show respect and care in love even when that person's being a jerk to us or has hurt us. And don't build your case and recruit your team by telling everybody else about how somebody has wronged you. That's not how we handle disagreements. That's called gossip. And it is pervasive within our culture. There is a biblical standard of going through conflict and issues and disagreements. We have talked about that standard here before on this stage, and we will talk about it in the future. But it starts with you going to the person that you have an issue or a disagreement with first, not 70th. 
When somebody comes and badmouths somebody or tells somebody that they disagree or upset with somebody, and taking, instead of taking it and resolving it and working through it together with your brother or your sister, all you're trying to do is affect the person that you're telling's viewpoint on how they would view that person. And you know what that's called? It's called sin. It's called sin. And if that's what we're doing, we need to confess that and move away from it. And we can't be people that are fertile, fertile ground for that stuff to happen. If somebody is coming up to you and, and saying things in a negative and derogatory way, here's how you shut that down. You ask him this question. Hey, have you talked to that person about that yet? That's a drop the mic moment. You will find yourself being a person that people don't come and talk about negative things with because you just drop the mic. Have you talked to that person about that? Don't engage in somebody else's sin. Be the kind of person that stands up to that. Don't be a safe harbor for gossip. Shut it down. So whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Watch your words because there is a guarantee that if we don't, trouble will find us. And it will not be somebody else's fault. Okay, so let's review these Proverbs for wisdom in 2017. Number one was Proverbs 10, 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Let's be people of integrity that handle ourselves in a wise and honest way, even in the small, insignificant, insignificant moments in life. Number two is Proverbs 12:15. It says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Self-perception leads to self-deception. Don't fool yourself into believing you have the best way. Listen to other people's. Be a learner. Seek understanding. The third was Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Don't be lazy. God has a purpose for you. He has a reason for your existence. Be diligent in the roles and endeavors that he has given you and you will be richly, richly rewarded. Maybe not with earthly gain, but for sure in spiritual rewards. The fourth was Proverbs 14, 9. It said, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Don't be a fool. Sin will kill you as much of a, as a room full of rattlesnakes will. Be serious about your desire to walk away from sin, to confess it, and accept the grace and the love that Christ has offered to us. And then repeat, confess, own it. Accept his love and forgiveness, and we'll keep walking. We have all the grace that we'll ever need to move from this life of death to his life of righteousness. And our last one was Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Guard your words in any form, because they have the power of life and death. Don't be somebody that spreads division and folly. Use your words wisely. Bring life to those who you communicate with. And so these are just a few things that I hope might help you gain some wisdom in 2017 to make this a great year. Let's let God search our hearts and expose any sin that we have in these areas, that we would confess it, and then let's tell somebody about our intentions. Here's what I want to be. Here's what God is calling me to be. Bring somebody in your life that can hold you accountable. Do not be islands in this. 
The Christian that is an island is in serious trouble. Do not be islands. Draw close to each other. Find help from one another. For some of you, 2016 was a really difficult year. There's a lot of difficult situations that have happened in 2016. Would you just consider this? Would you let us pray for you? If this has been a rough year for you, we'd love just to come beside you and care and pray for you. At the end of this teaching time, we have a closing song. And during that closing song, we always have people who are around up here that be willing to pray with you, to care for you. And after service, we have a prayer room that's open for people who just need a moment just to spill and talk and get prayed for. We'd love to come alongside of you. Don't let your difficulties in life go uncared for or unknown by other people. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you amongst this church. So let's make 2017 a year of the non-fool. And next week we'll come back together and we'll talk about wisdom and money. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we thank you for the wisdom that is profound in Proverbs. Lord, will you help us to seek out wisdom in all that we do? Will you help us to understand that all wisdom starts with our love and fear of you, Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so, God, we ask that you would just move in our hearts, that you would show us areas of our shortcomings in these areas, that you would move us to confess them and leave them behind, that we would accept your grace and love and mercy as we walk forward towards you. And God, we thank you for this moment together. We love you and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not. Amen.